And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Ow! Help me! Or two! This is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Watch that crossfire, boys! Hello, and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 62. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my best buddy, Scott Gardner. How's it going? Good. You're all on your new computer, and... I am. Things are back to quote-unquote normal. <laughs> normal. I'm normal. By the abnormal. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Never gonna happen, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up a long time ago. Uh, so what you got going on for Star Warsy news, man? Oh, nada, man. I haven't picked up anything Star Warsy. Oh, in the last few. Well, weeks since the last time we were here. Ah, well, I I have a feeling all that's going to be changing pretty soon because it, it seems like there's a, a pretty steady trickle of of new Star Warsy type things coming down the pike. You know, there's all those casting rumors and story rumors, yeah, the new movie and all that sort of thing. I don't really want to get into all all that. At See, the I don't even, I don't even count those. I just count stuff that I get in my grubby little hands. <laughs> right. Um, there was one news item, though, that has me extremely excited, just because, you know, it, it affects me directly, or at least I'm hoping it affects me directly. But I, I think it was, at least for my area, it was big news, and that is that Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker oh, yeah. himself, is actually coming to Star Wars Weekends. Now, the story I saw said that it was for the first time, so I was not aware. I mean, I know I've never seen him there, but I was not aware that in all the years they've done Star Wars Weekends that he's never been there before. So he's uh, he's actually coming this year. And I just have a gut feeling. I, again, I, I, I don't have any inside information. Nobody's told me anything. It's just my own gut speaking. I don't think this is going to be the last announcement that we're going to hear about Star Wars Weekends before Star Wars Weekends actually hits. Because, again, I, remember... I doubt that. Yeah, I mean, this is the first year of Star Wars Weekends where Disney owns Star Wars lock, stock, and barrel. So I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for what they have planned. I mean, they've already expanded it by a weekend. They've already added fireworks shows and everything. Now they they've added Luke Skywalker to it. I mean... I think that we're going to see all kinds of exciting things. 
I would like to see, and it may not happen this year, but I would I would bet my bottom dollar that it's probably going to happen next year, that you're going to probably see um, the classic trio, you know, Han, Luke, and Leia together uh, for Star mm. Wars weekends. If it doesn't happen this year, almost certainly You think next Harrison year. Ford would go for it? I think he would. I think he would. For, for some strange reason... He seems to have done a complete 180 from, you know, those many, many, many years of being like, ah, piss on Han Solo. Who needs him, you know? And now all of a sudden he, from everything I've seen with the guy, he seems like he's actually, you know, genuinely excited to be coming back to the role after all these years. So, yeah, I I think it could happen. I really do. I always picture, like, Luke, Leia... And Lando. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, you know, Billy D. Williams has been here before, so yeah, that could happen too. I mean, for that matter, you might get the four of them. So I, I don't know, but I mean, I think it's possible. I'd like to think so. Anyway, we'll that would see. Be pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. About ca- it. You ca- Well, you carry a camera with you at all times. I'm oh, sure. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. I would be doing my my utmost to try to get in on that action. I mean, I know it, it's probably going to be nuts. You know, for whatever presentation he puts on or whatever but still i i plan to camp out for it essentially and i'm in a pretty good spot to do that so yeah yeah <laughs> the only other thing i really had before we get into uh listener feedback of which we have a decent little bit to address here is i was recently at megacon with my good buddy dr bill robinson from uh, back to the bins and that episode uh will probably be hitting before long before this episode that you're currently listening to but if you haven't heard it seek it out give it a listen to at the very least i think you'll get a chuckle out of it or two because uh, i thought it was very funny we had a blast just hanging out together and if nothing else you get to hear dr bill uh, fall down a hill at a 7-eleven so <laughs> you got that to look forward to but while we were there, Bill went up a hill <laughs> and slipped and busted his ass. <laughs> but while we were at uh, MegaCon this year, you know, one of the things I always enjoy, whether it's a, a convention, whether it's going to a theme park, whatever, one of my big things is always staking out the new T-shirts, seeing what people are wearing, you know, geek wise. And this year, dude, I had a supreme geek out moment because as you know you know for for damn near six years now you and i have been talking about marvel star wars you know singing the praises and and ripping on it when it needs it that sort of thing you know that one of my favorite all-time images from marvel star wars is that glorious shot of vader coming out of the light at the end of the issue where where luke goes back to shira Bree's home planet that shot of him stepping out of the light and going, Luke, I have come for you. Love that image. It's it's a Simonson and Palmer image. I, I just always love that. It's one of my favorite cliffhanger endings of all time. It's just a beautiful piece of artwork. And I saw it on a t-shirt. I'm like, oh my God, I've got to have that. So I went up to the dude and I'm like, dude, where did you get that t-shirt at? And he told me it was, uh, I think it was Kohl's. Yeah, Kohl's. And I'm like, all right, I got, I got to find this T-shirt. So as soon as I got home, uh, my wife wanted to go shopping one day, not long after the con. I'm like, uh, hey, uh, you want to go to Kohl's by any chance? So took her to Kohl's, and lo and behold, I found the damn thing. So as we record tonight, Ooh. I am literally sitting here and wearing my awesome 
uh, t-shirt with that image on it. Now, the top of it's a little silly. The top of it says, Join the Dark Side, which I think is kind of like, yeah, whatever. I could do without the lettering on it, but it is that image, and oh, I just love it. I love it, love it, love it. I mean, just to have something with a, with a Simonson picture on it anyway, but that yeah. particular image is just like, oh. So I will be wearing this T-shirt out. I guarantee I, it. I want. I can't help but wonder if there's going to be some Simonson Thor T-shirts popping up. Ooh, that'd be really cool. It would be cool. I haven't seen any yet. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot more Avengers stuff coming down the pike. I mean, there's yeah. more and more. Um, you know, especially the core Avengers from the film, you know, more and more stuff from them all the time with T-shirts and ball caps and everything else. Off the top of my head, though, I have not seen a lot of the Simonson Thor stuff, which is very odd. Um, you know, Bill himself wore a, wore a Thor T-shirt to uh, to Megacom, but it was not a Simonson. Not Simonson. Uh, not sure who it was. Olivetti, I think. I'm not sure, but a really nice shirt. But, uh, yeah, I've not seen a whole lot of the, the Simons and stuff. I saw a great shirt on eBay. This is a few weeks back. And it was a uh, Infantino cover. And I was looking at it going, okay, I know this is Infantino. I'm pretty sure I know the story that it's drawn from. But it was from a UK issue. I'm like, that's kind of obscure and weird. I'd never seen the particular image before, so I had to look it up. And this is going to sound really stupid, but the only reason I didn't buy it, because it, it was rel- relatively cheap on eBay, but the, the only reason I didn't buy it, it was, was like, I don't own that issue, you know? So I didn't have, like, any, like, sentimental attachment to it. I probably should have uh, snagged it anyway. But it was one of those new style of shirts where, like, the image was the entire shirt, you know? It wasn't just on the chest kind of thing. I mean, it was like the entire shirt had the, mm-hmm. the art all over. It was really cool. But it was... Uh, uh, a very, very, very Infantino image of Vader and the snowtroopers invading the rebel base. And it was from the UK's version of the serialized adaptation of the of the film, you know, of, uh, of Empire. It was a really cool image, though. It was the first time I'd ever seen it before. But that's about all I really got as far as... Uh, news or any new uh new purchases or anything like that i'm still whipping my way through the uh the eu books i finally finished the legacy of the force books i really enjoyed them i'm going to be doing some sort of uh eu gabbing project with uh, some guys here shortly so i'll save all that but uh Whip through all that stuff as far as actually reading the books. And now the cool thing is that everything past Legacy of the Force, all those books have been done as unabridged audiobooks. So now I can just listen to them. I don't have to, you know, keep reading. I can, you know, listen to them like on the drives to and from work and stuff so I can concentrate on my other myriad reading projects for all the <laughs> right. other shows that we do. So I'd like to shout out. Um, as as I look on our Facebook page, I can see the seven new members recently. And guess what? Guess mm. what we hit today, dude? Three hundred um, members. Ooh. Yeah. All right. I I've wonder been, how many I've we been can watching have. it, waiting for it to hit three hundred, and then I forgot about it. Now that I'm looking at it, we have three hundred even members. Cool. I want. Is there a? Can we peek out on that, or, or is that? I have no idea. Well, I know there's. 
there's people with groups that have tens of thousands in it. Ah, so if there's okay. going to be any peeking out, we got a long way to go. <laughs> you hear that, guys? Start start adding more people. Start uh, telling start your recruiting. friends, tell your neighbors. 300 is pretty good, but yeah, if there, if there are groups out there with, now, right? with thousands or tens of thousands, then I want to I wanna pull those people in. I want to have a massive following, a massive group. Right now we have like the Sparta army. And I like want to win Frank back Miller the people comic. that we that we <laughs> drove away a few months ago with all the silliness over certain movies that were divisive and all that nonsense. So, yeah, if you're still listening to the show but you stormed off in a huff from the Facebook group, come on back. Come on back. I think we're <laughs> It's safe, I swear. It's safe. Yeah. We're a safe haven now. <laughs> I got I got some great names here in the so we always get people with awesome names, whether they're like just those names that slip off the tongue, you know, that you want to say people's last names or just odd names or maybe they're names they've made up or maybe our fans just have awesomely unique names. So uh, this time we've got Jif, J-I-F, Fishman or Fishman, Jorge Luis Nunez, Guts. War you tear guts G U T T S. That's gotta be a that's, made up name. If you it's think? not, man, that's an awesome name. I don't know, maybe <laughs> he a foreigner. Here's here's just one of those names that sounds like a showbiz name. Mackenzie Brackens. Yes, she's on Mackenzie one day Brackens at a time, right? Reporting from Iraq. What? She was on one day at a time. I remember that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's actually he. So don't 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 go mixing up our listeners' genders, man. You're gonna offend them. <laughs> I do that all the time. I can't help it. Uh, okay, we've got a uh, Kanan Perry, C A N A A N, um, Keith Mason. Dude, you got a normal name. And Sean Whelan, another normal name. What's up with you guys and your normal name, Sean? You got to change it to like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if Keith. If Keith Mason's Fritz ever... nice mustache. <laughs> I wonder if Keith Mason's ever heard the Metamorpho song. Because Metamorpho was Rex Mason, so there's that moment toward the end of the song where he's like, I Rex Mason, blah 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 blah. So Keith Mason could sing that song. If he has a nice deep baritone voice, you know, you might have a we might have a job for you here at Two True Freaks. <laughs> at least on that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord! Who else you got? Is that everybody? That's everybody. That's everybody. Uh, there's All been right. more people added since the last time I I did names, but you know, um, Facebook only will show you know so many each time so those were those were the most recent seven so if i missed you i'm i'm sorry write us an email and then we'll say your name yeah there you go that's the that's the best surefire way to get your name heard on the on the air on the show is to write in that doesn't have to be some massive missive you can just you know just write in to say hi my name is blank hi that's all we need Hi, my name is Joe. Your show is all right, I guess. I just wanted to hear my name on the air. Thanks. Love you. You know, it's something simple. I don't care. 
Oh, you I know used... Joe Schmo too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, shout-outs out of the way. You want to do some listener feedback? Sure. And I guess I guess I got the first one. You got the first one. You got what I think is the massive one as well. That's what the ladies say. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. I guess this uh, this one's titled Star Wars Monthly Monday number 61, so I'm assuming it's referenced to last episode. Mm-hmm. Greetings, freaks. Oh, this is from uh, Grant Kirkman. Glad to hear you guys doing a regular monthly Monday episode again, despite Scott's computer problems. I was worried that Chris might go mad with power as the one true freak. (laughs) There can only be one true freak. (laughs) Anyway, to address a few points and questions you raised in the last episode, precious little is known about the Alan Dean Foster sequel novels that were planned at the time of Star Wars' filming. Of course, Splinter of the Mind's Eye was actually released, but it was relegated to merely the first spin-off novel rather than the true sequel it was intended to be. Interestingly, a recent issue of the Star Wars Insider magazine featured a transcript of a story discussion between Lucas and Foster for Splinter, in which it is made pretty clear that Luke actually kills Darth Vader at the end of the story. As eventually released, the book leaves one to assume Vader will be back in the grand serial villain tradition, just as the end of the first movie does. Vader's death isn't that surprising, however, since he was killed off in earlier drafts of the script for Star Wars. Uh, Vader's importance to the story really only grew after the movie had been released, and he was embraced as a cultural icon of evil. Ah, welcome to my world. It's fascinating how this relatively minor character has been completely and bizarrely retrofitted into the main character of the entire series. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. J.W. Rinsler's excellent Making of Star Wars book features some transcripts of discussions between Lucas and Alan Dean Foster. Foster had been tapped to write the first film's novelization, and so he and Lucas occasionally got together to discuss that book. And it's two planned sequels. The following is an excerpt from The Making of Star Wars, in which Lucas talks about the sequels. The second book Lucas refers to what would become Splinter, with the first book being the Star Wars novelization. Ooh, do I get to do a George Lucas voice? I want to have Luke kiss the princess in the second book. The second book will be Gone with the Wind in Outer Space. She likes Luke. But Han is Clark Gable. Well, she may appear to get Luke, because in the end, I want Han to leave. Han splits at the end of the second book, and we learn who Darth Vader is. In the third book, I want the story to be just about the soap opera of the Skywalker family, which ends with the destruction of the Empire. Then someday, I want to do the backstory of Kenobi as a young man. A story of the Jedi and how the Emperor eventually takes over and turns the whole thing from a Republic into an Empire and tricks all the Jedi and kills them. The whole battle where Luke's father gets killed. That would be impossible to do, but it's great to dream about. (laughs) Mike Kaminsky, author of The Secret History of Star Wars, has rightly argued that the bit about revealing who Darth Vader really is could not possibly refer to this being Luke's father. This conversation took place right around the time, 1975, when Vader was being developed into both Kenobi's student and the murderer of Luke's father, 
and that is likely what Lucas was referring to. It's also worthy, worth noting that in the hardcover edition of Rinsler's book, early post-Star Wars story notes are presented, which lay out the backstory as it stood in Lucas's head just after the movie's release. The notes are a bit too lengthy for my aching fingers to recap here, but suffice it to say that they follow the basic plotline seen in the prologue to the first film's novelization. The bureaucracy of the Republic runs amok, and the Emperor uses a, a crisis to his advantage. There's a rebellion that forms within the Imperial Senate, and the remaining uncorrupted senators try to oust the Emperor legally, only then to be mysteriously killed. The Jedi side with the good senators, but are betrayed and killed by Darth Vader, whom the Jedi do not realize is actually the traitor within their ranks, the enemy within. <laughs> ben <laughs> Kenobi and Luke's father are among the few who remain, although Anakin, A-N-N-I-K-I-N, as it was spelled at this point, is eventually killed by Vader too. It was also at this, around this time that the idea of the volcano duel between Ben and Vader had been developed. Originally, the idea was that Vader turned evil, simply left Kenobi... Kenobi and his tutelage behind, and eventually adopted his scary armored spacesuit. This was revised into the concept of Kenobi fighting Vader over a volcano, seeking to avenge his friend Anakin's murder at Vader's hands, and Vader falling or being pushed by Kenobi into the lava. That's a soap, right? That's not going to hurt him. <laughs> anyway, the trajectory of the sequel novels apparently was that Luke would eventually avenge the murders of Ben and his father by defeating Vader. Luke and Leia might end up together, and the Empire would be destroyed. Pretty much what you'd expect a story inspired by old serials to be. While you guys raise a good point about creators who tell good making of stories for the sake of telling good making of stories, Lucas has pretty consistently rewritten the history of the series right up to the present day. His quotes are constantly contradicting themselves. Right around the time that the prequels were gearing up, he said he'd realized that the story was really about Darth Vader around 1998. Flash forward only a few years and suddenly he's saying that the, trage that the tragedy of Darth Vader is what the story ha has always been about ever since the earliest script drafts in the early 70s, which is patently untrue. Again, not to make accusations, but I do find it unfortunate that Lucas's version of history, history constantly changes so as to support the Star Wars story as he is telling it in a particular moment in time. The film's behind-the-scene history was changed to support the retcons contained within just the original trilogy. And then again, years later, once the prequels completely reworked the uh, overall saga. As for the development of Vader's suit, Scott questioned the pur purpose of the chess box. I refer you to one of the many supplemental articles in Mike Kaminsky's site, which is a, which is a link. Which I am going to check that out. It, yeah, I, I have gotten out of the habit of uh, of reading these emails ahead of time because I like to I like to kind of be surprised by things that come up. So mm -hmm. I will have to go back and take a look at this. Yep. So it's basically at secrethistoryofstarwars.com visual development of Darth Vader. HTML. So it's actually an easy one to get to. I actually contributed a good chunk of information to the article. Vader's suit was originally invented because an early script draft had him crossing open space to board the Rebel blockade runner. The look proved to be very distinctive, and so it became a permanent fixture for the character, just like the stormtroopers in their armored suits. 
By Ben Burt's own admission, the idea of Vader as a cyborg didn't come into the movie until the sound mix. In terms of the costume design taken on its own, Vader's chest box is very similar to those worn by both X-Wing and TIE fighter pilots, which presumably control their breathing apparatus in situations where they might be exposed to open space. In other words, in his initial conception and his film, Vader simply wore an armored spacesuit equipped with controls for a space helmet, among other devices. Without that all-important mechanical breathing sound, he would basically come across as a high-ranking version of a TIE fighter pilot. (laughs) Note that by the time of Empire Strikes Back, Vader's suit had been given a slicker, more mechanical look with the chest box slightly redesigned so as to incorporate blinking lights which suggests a high-tech medical device. Finally, I want to emphasize that I agree with you in the to-sell-toys mentality didn't really start until Jedi. I'm just saying that you can kind of start to see the roots of it in Empire, but they're they're very restrained, perhaps in part because Kirshner was focused more on telling the story than showing off new products. I do apologize for the lengthy email, but I hope it clears up a few things. I also hope that all this food for thought doesn't turn you into two tubby freaks. Too late. (laughs) Looking forward to whatever comics or other Star Wars related projects you guys end up covering next. Thanks, Greg Kirkman. No, thank you, Greg Kirkman. Yes, thank you. Never apologize for the lengthy emails because as always, Greg, um, you know, you were addressing things from from the prior emails and prior discussions, but you always end up bringing up something new. So you went into all this explanation about the secret history of Vader, but one point that that I'm rereading it here as Chris was reading it, just to kind of see if you had addressed it, but I don't see it here, is do you know exactly when the story did shift then, that all of a sudden Lucas hit upon the idea of, wait, 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 what if Anakin and, and Vader aren't, separate characters what if they're the same guy i want to know where did that come along then if that was never the intent all along as lucas has maintained all these years or at least as i recall it that this was always his idea then where where did he actually hit upon that like you know and you know how close was that draft of the story to i guess it would be empire by that point if if he truly hadn't hit on that idea yet by the time he was making the first film star wars and it was an empire idea then at what point in the production of empire the pre-production of empire did it suddenly you know that light bulb go on because i still think that's a pretty awesome idea i like some of these other ideas and i like what you bring up you know the points you bring up about vader and i kind of do remember a little bit of that that sense of Vader was the bad guy of the movie, obviously, but that he wasn't necessarily the... You know, he definitely was not the, the main focus. He was no, just, he was, he was the, the black hat. Yeah, he was the henchman. He was the black hat, you know? Or actually, he was the, the monster of the black hat, really, because it was the... Uh, you know, it was Tarkin. And I, I always got that was kind of the feeling that maybe that's why... Tarkin, uh, damn it, who's that actor that played him? Um, Cushing, Cushing, Peter Cushing. Why Peter Cushing was cast in the first place was because typically he was Frankenstein or someone like that that employed a monster, you know, to, to do the dirty work. 
I maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe they just cast him because he's a great actor. But I just always had that feeling, even from when I was a kid, that the whole reason that Cushing oh, he's an iconic Hammer horror yeah, actor. Yeah, exactly. But I always had the feeling, right from when I was a kid, that that was specifically why Cushing was in that role is because oh. he's he's playing a very similar part in well, in the first Star Wars. If if that was a, if if it wasn't clear, it be, I think it became clear when they put Christopher Lee in, right? To uh, the the prequels because right. basically he's he's just a living version, <laughs> right? He's even more iconic. Hammer. He was Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, all these things that he raised. You know, the points he was raising about. Um, Vader, what, I, what I'm going to call proto-Vader, because even though it was the Vader that was in the first movie, I mean, obviously he he, he mutated, as uh, yeah. Greg points out here. You know, he mutated over time into the character that, that we all know now. But all that discussion got me to thinking about, you know, what would it have been like if he had kind of stayed the same character he was in the first movie without all the retconning and, and all the things that happened with that character. And it got me to thinking a lot about one of my favorite characters from the expanded universe, which, uh, Greg, write in and let me know if you've ever read the Lando Calrissian books, because the villain in those books, the guy that Lando kept butting heads with was a guy called Rooker Gepta who I always envisioned being a lot like Vader. Because there's a line in the first uh, Star Wars where uh, the guy that Vader chokes at the table, and I can never remember which one's Tag and which one's Moti. He's one of the two of them. I can't remember which one it is. But he says something about Vader's sorcerer ways. And that's very much who Rucker Gepta was. He was this mysterious sorcerer guy he didn't so much use the force as that he tapped into some sort of other mystical energy type of thing call it magic if you want and he was actually referred to as a sorcerer and in the lando calrissian trilogy he very much serves the role of uh lando's vader and that's one of the reasons i always really liked that character especially in the second book because the second book in that series is really, it's the Empire Strikes Back chapter of that particular trilogy. And Rucker Gepta is just a complete bastard in that. And so if you haven't ever read those, you know, check those out. Because that will give you a character that I think is very similar to what Vader would have been like, say, in Empire if he hadn't gone the route that he went. If he had stayed more of just... You know the the monster villain, as opposed to all of a sudden now we know what's going on with him, kind of internally with Luke and all that you know stuff that as you know as it ended up playing out. All right, so the next one is uh, simply entitled "Feedback," and this one is not specifically Star Wars Monthly Monday, but as I want to try to address uh, feedback from everybody who writes in. This just seemed like the best and most logical place to kind of squeeze this one in for us. So this one actually comes from Gene Hendricks, which was one of the new folks that's uh, joined our little group here. And uh, as a matter of fact, he just has a couple of new shows that have hit our feed as well. And Gene writes in, he says, Scott and Chris, he says, as you've seen on Facebook, I've been powering through your back catalog of episodes. Oh, dear God. He says, as I'm doing that, 
I'm hearing a near continual call for email feedback. And since I, uh, since what I have to say is way too long for the Facebook group, I thought I'd oblige. First of all, congratulations on 400 plus episodes that you guys have produced. So far, I have really enjoyed what I've been hearing to the point that I am now, uh, now want to go back and reread slash rewatch old favorites such as Mask of the Phantasm, The Black Hole, and Tron. I know I'm not a true Star Wars fan, per Scott's definition. <sighs> oh, stop it. <laughs> says, but I've loved the Marvel Comics series uh, when it was out, and having heard you go through it was great, especially when I could picture the issues that I had when you talked about them. I can definitely hear the progression of the both of you as podcasters, and while you have always been entertaining, you are certainly much more polished in the newer episodes. I'd also like to thank you for being, in part, the inspiration for starting my own podcast. While my solo one uh, has more to do with Michael Bailey's views from the long box, the one that I have started with a close friend of mine is mostly modeled on your monthly Mondays. Uh, shows as well as the Fire and Water podcast. And that's actually an excellent show as well. Well, at least you're copying from the very best anyway. So <laughs> he says, uh, I hope that we present ourselves as well as the both of you do, although we're taking a slightly more family-friendly approach since my five-year-old might just overhear some of the recording. Well, I'd like to think that we've gotten better about that sort of thing over the years. I mean, we still have... What we've I would gone call like, from we've gone from Manson family friendly to dysfunctional family friendly now. <laughs> there you go. That works. We're, we're, yeah, we're not we're not mom pop you know all American family no, yet. Not yet. <laughs> he says it's funny how I uh, tend to talk back to the podcast, especially when you're trying to remember the name of something or someone that just pops into my head when you mention a title. I would say that's a mark of a quality show since I am really uh, so engaged by the discussion that I feel I have to respond and not in the yelling at the TV during Jeopardy kind of way either. I can only hope that you go another 400 episodes. Oh, what are you trying to do to me, man? He says, but this time I'll be around to listen as they come out. He says, P.S. Scott, I want to thank you uh, for all your advice on our trip planning to Walt Disney World. I know it was on a podcast you recorded uh, X years ago. Uh, but that has been our guide to what to buy ahead of time and where to go. I even booked a lunch at the Sci-Fi Dine-In based Excellent. on your glowing review of it. And again, that's from Gene Hendricks. Dude, you will love the sci-fi, I promise. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater, where you will see the finest motion pictures of all time soon to be released. Drama, comedy, adventure, excitement something for everyone here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future attack of the 50-foot woman incredibly huge with incredible desires for love and vengeance that place is really really awesome and uh, thanks for the kind words on that yes that episode was god that was in like our first year or two that was of a long so it was a long ago, time ago yeah. and i i listened to i re-listened to that one relatively recently because i had well it was about a year ago because i i had a cousin that was coming down to visit and she was asking me all these questions that i was pretty sure were addressed in that episode so i went back and i listened to it 
And then I sent her a copy of uh, the episode to her so she could listen to it and, and, you know, gain the, you know, the info that she needed out of it. But as I was listening to it, I'm like, man, I really need to do a follow up to this because while it is still really informative, it's also outdated in a lot of areas. So, yeah, that was one of those things I, I had planned to do follow ups. And one of these days I'll get off my lazy behind and do follow ups to that. But again, thanks for the kind words. I really appreciate that. And welcome to the team. Buddy. We yes. are we are really we are happy to have you. And last Hope you one like here. tattoos. <laughs> I'm saying. Let's see here. Last one here. Give me just a moment to get in. Here we go. Title on this one is Star Wars Monthly Monday. I've got a few things to say about Star Wars. Hmm, I've heard a title very similar yeah. to that somewhere. This one is from Mark Camphausen. It says, hey guys, I've been listening to the show recently and there have been a few conversations going on that I have uh, uh, that have compelled me to write in. First, I'd like to start with the topic of Star Wars toys. I'm getting a bit tired of hearing people talk about how Lucas only writes stories to sell toys. The feeling I get is that people are trying to imply uh, it diminishes Lucas's accomplishments as an artist slash storyteller. George is gifted with an incredibly visual imagination and he works in a visual medium. So naturally his crea uh, creations are aesthetically pleasing to look at and do make marketable toys. Just like Walt Disney, Stan Lee, and other great creators of the modern era. But the point I really want to make is a simple one. I love my Star Wars toys. I thank God I had Star Wars toys growing up. I thank God Lucas made those films that made such awesome toys. Those little plastic figures, vehicles, and playsets gave me countless hours of blissful joy that made life just better. I feel sorry for kids who grew up without Star Wars toys because that would just suck. Not many of them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to choose between my Star Wars toys and my right leg, I'd rather give up my leg. My prime time growing up, uh, my prime, t yeah, prime time growing up was around Return of the Jedi. I freaking love my Jabba playset, my speeder bikes, and yes, my Ewoks too. I still love Ewoks. I think they were a perfect addition to the oh okay original trilogy they reinforced one of the principal original trilogy motives perfectly summed up by yoda size matters not and they made awesome toys so my response to those who drone on and on about how star wars became nothing more than a toy commercial is simple blow it out your ass i love my star wars toys <laughs> All right, let's That's keep it. That's a T-shirt right there. Let's keep it friendly. Let's keep it. That was funny though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, instead of blow it out your ass, I would prefer pound salt up your ass. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, he makes he makes a great point. He makes a great whether whether you know I, whether any of the the movies that we've seen so far or anything have been specifically to create toys who cares there's been awesome star wars toys so yeah you don't have to buy the toys <laughs> yeah this is very true this is you don't very buy true, them i'll no. just buy them if you if you're sick of them send them to me <laughs> all right this next point though i'm not sure if i'm gonna be able to hang with him on this so here we go the second thing I'd like to bring up is Grand Admiral Thrawn. Oh, here we go. 
I love Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's my favorite EU character, and I feel he's been taking a beating on TTF, so I had to write in to defend him. Outside of Palpatine and Vader, I think he's the perfect Star Wars villain. One of the potential traps Star Wars storytellers face is constantly using Dark Jedi slash Sith for the villains, and those villains become monotonous carbon copies of each other. I mean, how many different Darths are there in the Star Wars universe now? All wearing black, carrying around red lightsabers, and whining about how angry they are. I think it diminishes Darth Vader's stature, uh, stature now that he's uh, just one in a long line of these stooges. Yeah, I'll give you that. I will definitely give you that. I was never cool when, in Phantom Menace, uh, you know, Darth Maul was, you know, that was his name, Darth Maul. I, I never understood that. I always thought Darth Vader was the dude's name. I never realized that Darth was some sort of a title. And I know it's nitpicky and, again, bringing in that uh, preconception bullshit. But, yeah, it, it always did. It always bugged me. I, I didn't like that. And now, yeah, you're right. There's been all these other Darths. It, it does kind of diminish. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, let's see. Just a quick uh, side note. I hope the new trilogy doesn't go down the same road of having some Jedi fall to the dark side and then return to the light side. I really feel that story should be reserved for Anakin alone. The other go-to Star Wars villains are bounty hunters. Yes, I love bounty hunters, and they are cool, but again, been there, done that. Star Wars needs new ideas, new perspectives, and fresh faces that capture our imagination, hold our attention, and kick our asses. I think Grand Admiral Thrawn fits that bill perfectly. He's not a Force user, so we're not going down that road again. Thrawn brings a different perspective to the Star Wars universe and different strategies. Visually... He's a cool-looking character with his blue skin, red eyes, slick black, uh, slicked-back black hair, and white uniform. He looks absolutely compelling, commanding, evil, and unforgettable. I've heard some arguments that putting such an emphasis on military ta tactics is not very Star Wars. I disagree. Military tactics have always been part of Star Wars. In the original trilogy, military tactics were always present, just not overly emphasized since they were not the primary story. During the Battle of Hoth, when Admiral Oslo came out of light speed too close to the system, the rebels were alerted to the Imperial presence due to this tactical error. The Imperials deployed a net of Star Destroyers around the planet to prevent the rebels from escaping while the Adats attempted to take out the shield generator, thus allowing a ground invasion, uh, thus allowing a ground invasion could capture the base. The rebels surrounded... Uh, excuse me, the rebels responded, rather, by using their ion cannon to knock out the electrical systems of a Star Destroyer, allowing their transport to escape the Imperial net safely. It's all tactical give-and-take that happens in most of the Star Wars movies. Obviously, with a character like Thrawn, his tactics are more of the, of the primary story, so they are more focused on. I've also heard some complaints that they don't buy Thrawn's ability to under... Okay, this this is what I was waiting to get to here before I actually responded, is that I agree with everything you've said up till now. That would make a great character, but hopefully this is where we're getting to where you and I are going to completely disagree. Because I agree that, that what you're saying, all these characteristics, yeah, that would make for a really cool character. But unfortunately, this is where I think Thrawn fails as a character. Alright, so Mark continues. He says, I've also heard some complain, uh, some complain they don't buy Thrawn's ability to understand a culture's uh, psychology by studying their art. Obviously, yes, it's not realistic. 
but neither is a little green frog guy levitating a spaceship out of a swamp with magic. It requires suspension of disbelief. For me, Zahn sold it and I bought it. Ultimately, if you're going to have a villain who is a threat to your main characters, you've got to give him a set of abilities that make him a threat. And if you're making a trilogy, that villain is going to uh, have to be enough of a threat to shake up an entire galaxy. Again, Thrawn is one of the few existing characters who fit that bill. Okay, here's where I disagree with you, all right? It's not just the art thing. Is that here's what I really think the problem with Thrawn is. And I realize that this is probably going to come off sounding kind of insulting to the author. And there's just no kind way to say it. I think the problem is, is that he thought up a, a character that could be really good, really interesting, that basically, and I think you're about to bring it up here. I just noticed it says, if you want to argue uh, no one is that smart, I would argue no one is as smart as Sherlock Holmes. Okay, well, here's the thing is that Thrawn is... I think conceived to be essentially like an evil Sherlock Holmes for, for lack of a better term. He's this ma master tactician, right? Unfortunately, Zahn isn't a skilled enough author to write that character. It's the same thing as like when somebody wants to write Spider-Man and they can write a really exciting Spider-Man story that gets all the beats right, but they just somehow they can't quite capture the voice of Spider-Man. They just can't come up with any good quips or one-liners. So while the story might be really entertaining, you always come away from it feeling like, that was pretty good, but something was missing. And that's exactly how I feel about Thrawn. He's supposed to be this tactical genius, yet he never seems terribly friggin' smart. He really just is able to defeat the rebels and he always knows exactly what's going on because he's studied art whoopty shit i don't see how that gives you a tactical advantage what i need is some brilliant insight some piece of dialogue or something in there that makes me realize holy shit this guy is a genius and you never get that in three books with this guy uh, well that's just the zon trilogy and then there was all the the other books that thrawn appeared in as well like that god-awful prequel novel um outbound flight god with that book oh it was horrible it was so boring it's you know again you've got this potentially interesting character I, I you you said that you know zan sold it and you bought it so i don't want to insult if, if you bought it then that's fine for you i never did because i never got anything with that character that made me believe that he was as smart as zan kept telling me that he was that was my issue with that character Anyway, one of our greatest uh, fictional characters, he's talking about Sherlock Holmes, he says, no one could possibly solve a crime like he does. No one could be as smart as Hannibal Lecter either. It's not an uncommon trope for fictional characters to be smarter than is realistically possible. Personally, I've always found, uh, always had an affinity for characters who fight their battles by outthinking their prize. Yeah, I agree with you, dude. I agree. That is really interesting. But... If you want to see how they do it. Uh, exactly. I, you know, if I'm going to read a, a story about Batman where Batman is going to outsmart his enemies and, and he's going to think his way out of a situation, then you, you got to show me that. You can't just tell me later on. You, you can't show me the Joker lock up Batman in this brilliant death trap. And then at the end of the story, Batman comes walking in going, wow, that was really tough. I almost didn't get out of that one, old chum. And you never show me how the hell he got out of the thing. That's what Thrawn does to me. 
that that's uh-huh. his failing to me is that you keep telling me how smart the guy is and he's this brilliant tactician but i don't see it i i i need to see some credentials you know in order to buy that sort of a thing so that's where he fails for me uh anyway he says and chris if you haven't read that uh timothy zahn trilogy i would strongly recommend it i love those books as much now as i uh as i did 20 years ago when they came out and i really think they are the gold standard of the star wars eu dude i could not disagree with you more uh anyway that's enough for now thanks for all your podcasting efforts and guys take it easy on indiana jones i've really been enjoying those kind have we been harsh on indiana jones Oh, I think in the last couple issues we had a little. <laughs> oh, you know what? That reminds me. Uh, uh, not much story to tell here, but uh, I did get to briefly meet um, Herb Trimpey at Oh, really? At MegaCon. I mean, it was very brief. I went with a couple books from. I hope sign. you didn't listen to the last. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. I know. I know. I've been, I know. I've been harsh, but that's what made me think of it anyway. But. Again, th- Mark, thank you for writing in, and, and I hope I didn't piss you off with anything that I said. It's just, I, I'm sorry, we're going to have to uh, agree to disagree. Um, you know, I, I went through the, the Zon books, the Zon trilogy again, not too long ago, thinking that maybe age has been kinder to them. Maybe I would see them differently. Maybe maybe I would see what everybody else sees, because I, I would like to be able to do that. And unfortunately, I just wasn't. I, I read them, and and I still have the same hang-ups I had with them the first time around. I think they're amateurishly written, and I don't think that they're terribly exciting. And I think Zahn pulls a lot of shit out of his ass. And one of the things that really annoys me with him as a writer is he keeps using the same key phrases over and over and over again in all three books and it just gets really annoying after a while and i wonder if maybe i noticed it more because i listened to them as audiobooks but the the one i'll give you a perfect example next time you read those those books if you ever read it again is be on the lookout for so and so releases the breath that they didn't realize they were holding he says that like 5,000 times in those books and it, it just it got really old after a while but anyway I don't want to piss on somebody's parade so I do thank you for writing in on that <laughs> well, and you know I, I haven't read I read the first half of the first book and it's very rare for me to do this but I just stopped and I was like I'm done I can't do this I I I don't even remember what was happening in it. I mean, I imagine I did read, was introduced to the Grand Admiral Thrawn, but I just remember going, well, this isn't going, it isn't going in, it's, it's it almost reminded me of the Silmarillion, <laughs> where it wasn't, it was sort of like an afterthought to me, like, what was going on in this story didn't have wasn't building to be anything with a a narrative that was going to stand up to Star Wars or not that that's possible or easy to do but it didn't feel like Star Wars to me right you know it felt like a, a yeah I'm I I wasn't a fan of Timothy Zahn's writing now I mean, mind you, this was 20-some years ago when it first came out. Right. So, 
But the odds of me, I actually have the books. The odds of me going back and reading them are pretty slim because, you know, my stack of to read is pretty high. And, like, there's a bunch of books in there that I'm really excited to read. <laughs> and, the, and this I wouldn't be as excited to You know, if I started reading it and all of a sudden I was enjoying it where I wasn't then, then I would be excited. But it's getting picking up the book and opening it up that's going to be hard for me unfortunately I, you know i i, I don't want to i don't want to leave on a, on a sour note with the whole thing i will give zon this much he did give me one of my absolute favorite characters of the eu which was um mara jade now mara jade i i do see her as a shira Bree clone but She's different enough, and she went in an interesting enough direction that, you know what, I, I'm cool with that. Even if he came right out and freely admitted, yeah, I completely ripped that character off. Hey, I, I'm cool with that because of where she went. Her journey was really interesting. And I did like her right out of the gate. I thought that she was a really interesting concept and a really neat idea, and I like where they ran with that. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that has kept me... Uh, mildly interested in the whole EU and it's one of the things that kind of made me jump back into it when I learned of some of the, the directions that her character arc went with uh, with Legacy of the Forces where you know that's where I decided to jump back in so yeah I mean again to, to the best of my knowledge he, he created that character himself and thought her up and everything so you know good on him for that because I did like that character I just the villain of the piece I just never cared for <laughs> well what do you say you want to take a little break and then come back with the uh, the meat of the episode yes meat Trentus Magnus punches reality. Movies, comics, and TV shows. Listen as Trentus Magnus punches reality. Only at twotruefreaks.com. Hello and thank you for calling the Tales of the Justice Society of America 24-hour live human being customer service hotline. Hello, I... Unfortunately, all uh. of our representatives are sleeping. Or busy. Uh, busy. All of our representatives are busy right now. But if you stay on the line, your call will be answered in reverse Hungarian alphabetical order, starting with the letter... D. Okay. Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line. Alright. We are experiencing longer than usual wait times. Your call will be answered in... 94. Minutes. Please continue to hold. Your call is extremely important to us. Please stay uh... on the line. Check us out on the web at www.2truefreaks.com.
Your call is ridiculously important to us. Yeah, if my call's so important, then why don't you answer it? What the f*** is taking so long? You may be asking yourself, what the f*** is taking so long? Um, We'll be with you shortly. Please continue to hold. Answer. Answer the goddamn... (laughs) Let me check, is he still there? Ah! Guys, he's still holding! Oh, Jesus. We're sorry for your wait. Please continue to hold. God damn it! Tales of the Justice Society of America is back with all new episodes. Only at twotruefreaks.com. Welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 62. And we're going to get into the comic bookie segment this time around. And Chris has got the first two synopses. Yes, this is a four synopses episode here, guys. Because these are four short stories that we're putting the, the Marvel Weekly. Now, what what Marvel Weekly did this one come out in? This one actually originally was presented in Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, number 155. This is when the book was uh, a monthly for a time. Now, I want to point something out real quick. Any of you guys that are following along with us via CBRs, because I know at one time there was a, a, a torrent that was available that had all of the Marvel UK stuff in it, just know that the CBR for this particular one is incorrect. The cover's right, I do believe, but the interior is actually... If you if you go to Star Wars uh, The Empire Strikes Back number 155, once you get past the cover, the interior in that issue is actually a completely different issue. It's like 156, I think. Something like that. There's, there were a couple issues that were confused. But I really like the cover to this one because it's uh, uh, the photo cover with, uh, with Darth Vader... Like that Classic. was actually, yeah, it was the cover of the two-record soundtrack when we were kids. So I, I thought, I have always liked that picture, so I thought that was really cool. I always liked seeing that picture without the album groove worn into it. <laughs> right. Like mine. All right, well, th- and, you know, this was, I'm, I am reading this out of the Star Wars um, Wild Space Omnibus mm-hmm. sent by Scott Rifen. But it was all, but it, which is in turn a reprint of Devil Worlds. See, that's the really strange thing is that all of the stories that we're going to cover in, you know, well, everything from here on out in the omnibus, uh, they are all in color. Well, they were colored for Devil Worlds. So mm-hmm. what's reprinted, and it even admits it in the omnibus, what's reprinted is not the original presentations, which were all in black and white. It's reprinting Devil Worlds, uh, book one and book two, which are in themselves reprints. So it's it's very strange that they made that particular decision, whereas most everything else that they reprinted was from the originals, and it even included the covers to the original UK issues. Why they didn't do that with these other ones, I really don't know. That's oh, very no. strange. Weird. So the first story we get... A legendary one amongst you and I. <laughs> the Dark Lord's Conscience. 
writer Alan Moore. Alan Moore is making his debut in Star Wars Monthly Monday, oddly enough. <laughs> Artist John Stokes and letterer John Aldrich. So this is going to be one of the shortest synopses ever, so don't blink. Or whatever the equivalent of blinking with your ears is. Darth Vader is playing Firepath, basically space chess, on the planet Cheelit with a female space Cthulhu. Meanwhile, he is getting stalked by Clat the Shamer of the Vindicators. He's a cowled goon who literally guilts people to death. He confronts Vader during the game, but guilt doesn't work on Vader, and he makes a move on the on the space chessboard on the fire path board and flames leap up from the board and fry clat the shamer then vader tells squid lady that he knew she set him up and he boils her like a calamari in her glass globe space checkmate (laughs) and that's basically it that is basically it (laughs) these uh i'm sorry go ahead I, I gotta say, I read this on that torrent years ago, and I remember being like, ooh, Alan Moore doing a a Star Wars story, and then being like, eh. But I liked it better this time as just a, sh- a short vignette, you know? Mm-hmm. It was nice. If, if he had the benefit of the knowledge of the prequels, he could have made the confrontation with Clat the Shamer... <laughs> A lot more dramatic. But I'm noticing something reading these is these are writ- Star Wars stories written by British people and they seem to be a lot more like I, I think maybe someone told them this is space fantasy, it's not science fiction. Mm-hmm. So they go more towards almost like the magic sorcerer right. sorcery sort of thing, and it's weird. <laughs> It just it, it doesn't feel Star Wars. It's just a weird, like through a different lens. I think a great title for this book would have instead of being like Star Wars Monthly or Weekly or whatever would have been like Weird Star Wars Tales. Would have been a that great be title great. because that's kind of what it feels like. Because yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's funny, you and I, I think, have pretty much the same reaction to this story this time around because I can remember the first time I read this. And my reaction walking away was like, what the hell? I mean, I really didn't care for it at all, despite the fact that it was more who I usually tend to like. But reading it again this time, there there were some subtle nuances that I I caught this time that I really liked. I mean, it's just a short story, but it's interesting. I mean, I, I definitely could have gone for seeing another instance at some point of... Game Master Vader. I like this idea that yes, you know he he's he gets a, he's playing two simultaneous games, yeah. three simultaneous games. There, I I really I enjoyed that part of the story, and you know again it's it's just a few it's like what like six pages or something. It's super that, short, yeah. but yeah, I I think it's it's interesting, and I like that uh, that Vader tricks. <laughs> the shamer who looks like he looks like a weird 
like horror comics version of like dead Ben Kenobi or something. He's really kind of kind of creepy looking, but he lures him onto the board and then just sets him on fire. That's great. That's that's horror comics type stuff. I really like that. Um, you had said something about you know prequel trilogy and that, and and it made me think that for more obviously not knowing more about Star Wars than whatever was out at this time he got a couple of interesting things in here because you know that very first panel one of the chess pieces kind of looks a little bit like nine numb that we would see in return of the jedi just a little bit and then in the third panel of the of the story it says you know as vader goes to press a button on his chair it says a black metal finger and again how could they know that at this time so I don't know if he's thinking like the suit's made of metal or he's guessing that Vader's a cyborg or got metal parts or something, but I just thought Either that way was it works really out just fine. It does. There's a couple really good shots of Vader like on uh page 226 that second panel, uh, just a nice like upshot yes. looking at him that looked good. There well, it's got really the reflection good. in his eyes which, yeah. which you don't see a lot of in the comics. And once again helmetless troopers who the- Look a little bit like clone troopers. Yeah, he he could fit. Yeah, he could definitely be, you know, a, a variant of one of the clones. I I like this style of art. This is a very British, mm-hmm. you know, 2000 AD style art. Um, it's very spooky, so it goes with the story really well. Mm-hmm. And it's just wet, and it gets the characters nicely. Well, it's only Vader, right? But it captures, and the the stormtroopers look good too. Yeah. Which is a hard, seems to be a hard thing. Yeah, in this era of Star Wars, we did not see a lot of good-looking stormtroopers. No. They usually had, like, Melty Head or something. Something was going wrong, usually. Yeah. It's funny, the uh, the story that's reprinted in the second half of the issue is actually the second half of the uh, Coffin in the Clouds story. That's the one where Lando gets kicked off Cloud City at the very end of it. It's just, yeah, exactly. That's it's exactly how it ends. It's really nice seeing that in black and white. By the way, it looks really sharp. And you know, those British comics are slightly oversized from American comics, so you're getting it a little bit oversized and in black and white. Just it really pops. I like how it looks. But I just thought that that was interesting because that means this is the lead feature in a Star Wars mag, and not. That, which is one of the best issues of Marvel Star Wars, the one with, yeah. you know, with Cloud City. It's, you know, it's relegated to a backup feature. And at first I was thinking that, well, maybe this was at the time when not only was it already a reprint from the American stuff, but for a time, this Star Wars, the UK Star Wars title ran so long that they actually began to reprint things that they had already put out before. So I was thinking maybe this was that period, but I looked it up and it's not. So you've got this far better story. It's the first time UK audiences are seeing that story, and it's the backup feature in the book. It's just really odd that they it's decided weird, yeah. to run it that way, I thought. But that's pretty much all I got in this one. I, I, I did dig it you know, better the second time around. And we would see this creature again in Watchmen, of course. Because isn't this essentially the space Pretty much octopus thing sort of the same sort of in? same sort of deal? Yeah, he liked the Cthulhu's. <laughs> he the liked ca- them the Cthulhu's. space calamari. 
All right, you got the next one, too. Yes, the next one is called Dark Knight's Devilry. Uh, writer Steve Moore, another Moore. Mm-hmm. Artist Alan Davis and letterer Jenny O'Connor. I sent Jenny you the. O'Connor. I sent you. <laughs> I sent you the cover image on this one too, just so you could take a look at what the original cover had looked like. I actually kind of like this one. It's it's weird. It's a little <laughs> like He Man or something, but yes. <laughs> Vader's got that weird like. He, he almost looks like he has a cow catcher on the front of his grill. There. Yes, he does look like a train rolling down the tracks. <laughs> and it's brightly colored. It reminds me of Gem, or not Gem in the holograms. What was that? Um, oh, Amethyst? Amethyst, yes. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, it's like day glow colors. It's like they're at the disco. Yeah, but they're not. They're hunting for the Eternity Stone. <laughs> All right, so Dark Guy Knight's Deviltry. An Imperial troop transport is attacked by gorillas on the sand planet Jern. The ambush is successful, and turns out the gorillas have freed a couple Imperial prisoners. Luke and Leia! They are taken to their leader, <laughs> the hot raven-haired Mika Reen. I just want to point out, you mean gorillas as in gorilla fighters, not gorillas as in... <laughs> Oh, I wish. <laughs> nope. G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A-S. Not gorillas. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> the hot gorilla raven-haired Mikarine. Do, do you really think that I would... Do you think they would think that I would think a gorilla leader was hot? <laughs> well, you, you like Mala, Maybe. so... Yeah, that's true. They do know me. Uh, anyway, they talk Mikarine into helping with their quest to find the Eternity Crystal, a magic crystal that turns back time. Leia wants to save Alderaan, but Mika thinks she might want to be Empress of the Universe. So after a long involved story about how they found the information that led them to the Eternity Crystal. They go to where the crystal is supposed to be held, but Mika sort of turns on our heroes and decides she's going to go in the building and get it herself. But the building explodes, leaving a huge round crater. (laughs) Luke and Leia are buried under the sand and basically dig themselves out to see uh, Darth Vader, who does not see them. He's basically gloating about how he set everything up to trap Luke and Leia. And Luke, in a rare, awesome moment of not messing around, just chucks a bomb at Vader, (laughs) presumably blowing him up, and then steals... uh, It's a Thai bomber, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And flies off with Leia, presuming that... He's killed off Vader, maybe, maybe not. He, he sort of realizes he's in a comic book, so probably not. And that's basically it. I cut out the subplot about the Imperial officer because who cares? Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say, do yeah, anything not to, important. He didn't do anything for the story except die. <laughs> this particular story is ooh, it's a mixed bag, man. 
because I like Alan Davis's art. I've always liked Alan Davis's art. I have a feeling that this is early Alan Davis, but mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't stop it from being awesome. It's really good, and I would have loved to have seen him do more Star Wars because he really... does a weird Vader, but I like his Vader. Yeah, I do too. I really do. But I, I like I like how he draws draws that tie. They call it a tie scout ship, but it looks pretty much like a tie bomber to me. Yeah. But yeah, he knows how to draw Mika too. Oh yeah, she's she's very. Oh, uh, uh, do you remember him? He, I'm trying to remember what else he had done that you might, because I. I'm trying to remember when it was that he worked on X Men, if you would have ever seen any of his stuff on X Men. I don't think so. But he did X Men. He did Excalibur for a time, um. And then more recently, and I use recently in a relative sense he did uh, some work for dc that was really good stuff too but uh I, i've always liked his art he's, he's got a very clean style although for some reason he just can't make luke consistent in this story there's a couple yeah. panels where luke looks good but most of the time he looks uh a little bit rougher on the edges yeah he he looks like haggard and aged and like he's got like this weird bowl cut or something. Yeah, he, he's he hung looks... over or something, yeah. <laughs> he's got bed head. And... Yeah. <laughs> he's he's not consistent at all, but uh Princess Leia is oh pretty Leia is, looks nice. great. She's, yeah. He's got her face great. He's got the Carrie Fisher face. The down. face and the hair. I really like her mm-hmm. hair in this too. Yeah. She looks really good. But I mean right out of the gate you've got a Imperial troop transport. I was like, yes so yep. I really liked that. For some odd reason, and of course, this, again, this is my beef with this being colorized or colored, is that in the original presentation, it's all black and white, so you couldn't tell how, what anybody looked like. Well, now that we're getting this colored version, well, Luke and Leia look like they're dressed like colonials from Battlestar Galactica. I'm like, yeah. what, what the hell is with the color choices here? That was kind of strange. I mean, not that it looks bad, but they do really look like they're from that show as opposed to from Star Wars. So I thought that was kind of weird. I like that the Imperial commander gets away with a Boba Fett jetpack. I thought that was kind of cool. And he fires a spider tracer that sticks to R2 as well, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, in his flashback, Luke is once again flying a different non-X-Wing style ship. So it's weird. In the comics, he, he rarely seemed to fly an X-Wing. And... He uh, once again crashed too because we're shown on uh, on two thirty nine when he's in his uh, his flashback that they went to check out this planet for this crystal thing and sure enough they got shot down and crashed so Luke seldom actually lands anywhere he just crashes all but maybe that's why he keeps going through these different ships because they don't survive his adventures it's why he's not Admiral Skywalker. <laughs> Father was a great pilot, but not a great lander. <laughs> right. <laughs> Flying, not a problem. Landing, whole different story. Oh, jeez. 237, that second panel. I don't know why I like that so much, but that's just an interesting like down shot of Luke yeah. standing in that weird alien ship. It just looks really cool. Um but then you get to page, you know, I'm digging the story as it, you know, I mean, it's again, it's weird science fiction-y type stuff. Not quite Star Wars, but it's not too bad. But then all of a sudden, you get to page 244. It's right after the thing has blown up and left the giant gaping crater. 
and you've got the the Imperial scout ship lands. Vader and uh, Toadie or whatever the hell his name is get out. Okay, this is where this story goes to pieces for me right here. All right, I have three major issues right with this starting with this page neither vader nor ovant that's the guy's name neither vader nor vant can hear luke's lightsaber he's right behind them with a lightsaber turned on cutting through whatever rock or sand or whatever and they don't hear a thing okay that's bad enough but then again Luke is mere feet behind Darth Vader, and Vader exactly. doesn't sense him in the Force. He can't feel him. He can't sense that he's there. Nothing. And then... He can't even flick a rock away when Luke... Or a bomb away when Luke right. chucks it at him or, or get some spidey sense on it, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, he just gets blowed up. Yeah. And then here was my biggest issue. And you had said something about Vader's plan being to capture Leia and Luke. No. It'd blow him up. He his plan was to kill them because at the bottom again, a ba- bottom of page two forty four. Um, well, he's he's saying here he says, uh, all right. So he comes out of the ship and he says it worked then. And Vance says, you mean uh, you expected this, my lord? And he says, expected it. I planned it. He says right from the time I had that alien ship built and concocted phony images, uh, image tapes with their lies about the eternity crystal. I knew Leia Organa would have to come to uh, if she thought there was a chance of saving her beloved Alderaan. Getting Luke Skywalker as well was a bonus. And now the bomb I planted has killed them both. So he's actually happy about this. So he was not planning to capture Luke or Leia. He wanted them dead. (laughs) We know from Empire this is not Vader's plan. Vader does not want luke dead and we know why he doesn't want him dead so i'm thinking this story even though it appeared in the empire strikes back monthly had to be written prior to the movie because otherwise this story would just not exist so unfortunately it kind of it kind of soured an otherwise pretty cool tale for me but yeah that part of it it was just like what plus that one i thought of is sort of a okay story-wise kind of an okay infantino era star mm-hmm. wars story right also right. first mention of time travel in star wars mm-hmm. now there would eventually be a novel i can't remember the name of it all i can think of is outland and i know that's not right it's it's got some weird name but it, that novel would eventually actually deal with time travel in the star wars expanded universe but this was actually the first time that even the the concept ever came up and i think this was a weird plot to begin with for them to actually want to try this idea Mm -hmm. i mean because you know conceivably enough time has passed that they could really screw some things up if they start playing with time travel because you know they had said something about leia possibly wanting to use it to try to save alderaan but then Luke said something about going as far back as uh, to when the Empire formed. So he's going back prior to his own birth. Yeah, I mean, he could really he could he could, he end could a, screw things up really bad. Yeah, he could retcon himself out of existence or something. So yeah, not not a good idea there, Luke. <laughs> this is the only Star Wars story in uh, issue one fifty three as well. Which I thought was interesting. No backups. 
no Star Wars backups anywhere. Right, I think there was right. a, what was the Martian hunter got Kill Raven. I think there's a Kill Raven story in there, something like that. Do you remember the story in the in the newspaper where Luke went back to Tatooine for like the ten millionth time and he hooked up with this weird skinny like feather haired girl and he caught this disease and they had to go find Jawas? No. Do you know the story I'm talking for some reason even though she looks nothing like her, the the raven-haired girl in this story, Mika or whatever her name is, reminded me of that woman. And then the scenes where she and Luke are in the land speeder again reminded me of that story from the newspaper. I, I wish I could remember more details about that, but we'll probably end up covering that at some point. But it really did remind me of that for some reason. It was it was weird. There was just some sort of visual thing that uh-huh. made me keep coming back to that. It's kind of odd. We'll move on to the next one. Fine with me. <laughs> All right. Oh, it's this next one's up a, this time. Oh, yeah. this one's a humdinger right here. I had issues with this one as well. All right, so this one. Oh, jeez, yeah. Now, have you seen the image for the cover on this one? Yeah, Han Solo's back in action. I hear it's gorgeous. Yeah, I could not find. Uh, credits for this. I, I looked. I could not find anywhere. If anybody knows the credits, this is actually Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back number 157. And it's got this gorgeous painted cover on it. And it's just uh, it's Han like standing in this field. The Falcon's flying behind him. There's the this Twin weird... Towers are still standing <laughs> in New York City. You've got uh, X-Wings and there's like a bombing run going on. But it's really cool. It's a It's a painted cover. And I really like it, but I do not recognize the uh, the artist on this. I would be I wouldn't be surprised if this is not actually even a, like a comic artist, just somebody mm-hmm. that you know they commissioned or whatever. But I like it. It's really it's dynamic. It's not pulled from anything that I'm aware of. It looks like it's completely original. But uh, cool looking stuff. Anyway, all right. So this title, uh, this story rather, is entitled "The Flight of the Falcon." Which, by the way, is no relation to the video game. There was a video game. I want to say it was like a Game Boy game or something. Yes, it was. I own it. Do you? Is yeah, it any good? No. Is it better than this story? Ah, uh, no. It's really... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Because it takes place in the real Star Wars universe. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. It's in already its got the leg context. up on this story. All right. All right, here's the weird thing. I'm looking right now at, at the omnibus. Page 246 is where this story starts. No credits. None. At all. Yeah. Yet, in the original book, in the issue, there were credits right at the bottom of the page. So I don't know what the hell the story with that is. But anyway, credits, because I looked them up. Story was by Steve Parkhouse, who I've never heard of before. With art by uh, John Stokes, who I think did the art on at least one of these other stories. I think he did the art on this, the first story that you covered. I think he does it on the next one. Oh, does he? On the, the next Alan Moore one, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I know I've seen his name before. I know I've seen his art style before. So, in a story set in what we are told at the beginning was the early years of the Empire's Outlands region, whatever the hell that means, a patrol of TIE fighters managed to lose a smuggling vessel that looks a hell of a lot like the vessel that Luke was piloting in the early uh, United States issues of this series. Anyway, when the squadron commander reports uh, his failure to his boss, 
The guy is pissed, and he blames the loss on the incompetence of his TIE pilots. Wasn't our fault, says the squadron commander. Says maybe if we had some decent ships. So his boss takes a trip to the Millennium Astro Engineering Planet to see about a trade-in. Turns out that the head salesman, Zoltan Starkid... Zoltan. Uh, Zoltan. ...has just the thing he needs. A brand spanking new prototype ship called... Wait for it... The Millennium Falcon. Okay, so this is about the point that I started to think, um, this story's probably not in continuity anywhere anymore, because <laughs> as it so happens, I happen to be reading a novel right now called Millennium Falcon, and it's all about, uh, you know, it's the backstory of the Falcon, essentially, tracing it right from when it was built, right through all the owners it's had, right up through Han Solo, and I'm led to even into the future a little bit. So I was pretty sure that this story was not going to sync up with that. Plus, and they couldn't have known this at the time, of course, but plus we saw the Falcon on Coruscant in Episode 3. So we already know that the ship was in service prior to the formation of the Empire. But I was curious, so and of course I was going to keep reading just to see how the whole thing uh, turned out. So the Imperial boss man, and I don't think we ever do get this guy's name. I looked and I couldn't find it. He says, I'll take it. But for some bizarre reason, he has to wait for an Imperial pilot to arrive from Imperial HQ in order to fly at home or some shit. I did not understand that part of it at all. It, it essentially seemed like it was an intentional like delaying tactic in the story. Mm -hmm. So... Essentially, uh, what happens is uh, it's just a plot device, and it allows the Star Kids uh, secretary to eavesdrop on these going ons, and turns out that she is uh, secretly a rebel spy and secretly from Earth. <laughs> She's Funny just to... a total Earth secretary in her glasses and <laughs> like a '60s outfit. <laughs> You're right. She even has an intercom. Yeah, you know, I yeah. didn't. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Well, there's a lot of Earth-centric stuff in these particular stories. I've noticed. Um, there was something else I failed to make note of it that somebody said, and I was like, "Wait a minute, that's an Earth." Oh, concrete. Luke, Luke, in the last story, mm -hmm. Luke noticed that the concrete was fresh or something like that, and I'm like, "Wait, they have concrete in Star Wars." So anyway, she's uh, secretly a rebel spy, and she sneaks away to inform her people so that an ambush can be set up. The rebels take out the Imperial pilot as he's on his way to the ship, and he is secretly replaced by a masked, proto-Vader-looking guy who Starkid allows to board the ship and fly her away without any sort of ID check or anything. So once in space, the mask comes off, revealing the grinning features of Han Solo. At which point I'm like, well, wait, what? The, what? Yeah. Huh? He's got Lando with him, too. Yeah, well, that was the next thing is, you know, so Han Solo, you know, he won the Falcon from Lando. We know this because, well, I thought seen... they were setting it up to make you think it was Han and it was going to be Lando when he took That's off. That's what I thought, too, because, you know, they, they show it, they hint at him in the shadows. 
Yes. But you don't really see his face, and you don't really he see him. He has a enough. cape on, too. He keeps walking around with a cape, which makes you think it's going to be Lando. Oh, you're right. I hadn't caught that. But yes, you're absolutely right. When he comes walking into the bay as the pilot guy, yes, he does have a swirly cape. I didn't even notice that. You're right. So, yeah, but yeah, you know, so we, we already know... So, so I was thinking that, all right, well, there's a guy with Han that, yeah, I thought that the guy with Han was Lando as well, because there's two guys behind Han. One does look like Lando. The other guy, I don't know who the hell he's supposed to be. And where the hell did these guys come from? Did they board the ship with? Yeah. Okay, yeah, they did come walking in with him. I, I don't know. It's still weird. So at this point, I'm thinking maybe this works. Maybe they're setting us up to think that Han's stealing the ship, but then he, Lando's gonna, maybe Lando's really, I didn't know what the hell was going on. But then suddenly, X-Wing fighters come flying in, and they blow the friggin' place to smithereens because of a tip-off from Han Solo, who wasn't working with the Rebels prior to the first film. So <clears throat> I don't I at this point I I literally gave up. I don't know what the hell's going on here. I couldn't make any sense of when is this supposed to be happening? Where does this fit in the timeline? Does it fit? I, I it gives you nothing. Because the the rebels fly in, they blow the place up and that's literally the end. So is this a prior to Star Wars story? Is this uh-huh. a post you know, Empire, Return of the Jedi. Where the hell is this taking place? I I really didn't get it because Zoltan. I mean, it really looks here like Zoltan has literally invented the Millennium Falcon. So that he has, re- but that's why they show him blowing up the plant. So that's why there's no more Millennium Falcons. Right, but if this was a ploy by Han Solo. See that that doesn't yeah, that doesn't work either. It doesn't make any sense. No, it at do, all. It, it doesn't make any sense because I I was thinking though well, maybe this was something that that Han set up, but what would be the point? Exactly, it, 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 it all depends on him like working for the rebels or being into helping out the rebels at the very least. Yeah, which this... whatever he shouldn't care at all at this point. This story, I don't see. You know, yeah. I I agree with with Bertoni that you know, if you want too hard enough, you can find a way to retcon most of these little things that don't. I don't want exactly too hard match up. This one. But in this one, yeah, there's. I don't see how you possibly can. There's just too much wonkiness. I don't. I don't see how you could possibly salvage this story because it just it flat doesn't make any sense. It's really bizarre. Did you notice on page 248 the name of the town that she travels to, by the way? No. It says, uh, that night a hover car left the Millennium Plant. Uh, oh, Leviticus. Took the intersection north heading for the nearby town of Leviticus. Yeah, there's a, a lot of sort of um, religious references <laughs> right. in here. Yeah. Really, really weird stuff. Other features in this particular issue uh, included an early issue of Rom Space Night and the fall of Cloud City story from the latter half of Hello, Bespin, Goodbye, which, uh, again, one of my favorite stories from uh, this era. I think that's a Michelini story, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, I believe you're right. Definitely by uh, Simonson and Palmer, anyway. 
Anything else on that uh, humdinger? Oh, no. All right, oh, last no. story for this time around. This is the last story in Devil Worlds uh, Book 1. This one originally appeared in Star Wars Monthly number 159. And let's see here. The cover originally on this one was... Oh, I like this one. This one was actually... They did a few covers like this where it was actually pictures from the films as opposed to a piece of art. Only sort of. So under the word Star Wars, you've got that famous image. I mean, everybody's seen this if you're a Star Wars fan. The image of Vader with his hand out reaching to Luke, you know, come with me. That famous image, you know, where his uh, lightsaber's already cut off the three uh, the three bars there in front of him. Then you've got a, another classic shot of the AT-ATs attacking the Hoth base. And then there's uh, the bottom image is actually a Ralph McQuarrie uh, painting of the uh, the rebel base on Hoth. So you've got like the prototype uh, snow speeders, the Millennium Falcon, a couple of X-Wings. It's, it's really cool. I love the cover on this. And you have your chance to win an Atari. <laughs> Pretty awesome for 40 pence, I guess. So, all right. So this is the first issue, by the way, uh, where the title uh, resumed to... Uh, Star Wars Monthly after uh, it had been for a time it had been the Empire Strikes Back Monthly and then it went to being Star Wars Monthly Blind Fury is the name of the story it's by Alan Moore and John Stokes Luke is having a little blindfolded lightsaber practice against three remotes in the TARDIS section of his X-Wing when he receives a distress signal from a planet named Garn Something about that name tickles his brain as something that Ben Kenobi told him once. And I'm thinking, you know, we sure have learned about a lot of stuff that that old goat related to a lot on the Millennium Falcon. That's all I got to say. Yep, on that flight from from his house to Alderaan, he sure did relay an awful lot of stuff to Luke. Yep. So anyway, Luke decides to uh, check it out, not crashing for once. And he enters a mysterious temple where he is set upon by uh, creatures that we'll see again when uh, Alan Moore takes Swamp Thing to Hell to rescue Abigail Arcane in a couple of years. After wandering around in the dark, encountering soul snares and the ancient armor of long-dead Jedi Knights, Luke finally finds out that apparently the guy responsible for all of this is one of the aliens from Mars Attacks. Ages ago, the Martians called themselves the Order of the Terrible Glare, which reminds me of that shitty paper that they print comics on nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) The Order fought the Jedi, and this guy thinks the war is still going on and has been luring unsuspecting knights to their doom for millennia. See, he's not really a guy at all. Well, he was. But before he died, he downloaded his consciousness into this computer thing that Luke is now talking to. Luke realizes that the computer is all confused and doesn't even know that it's been, you know, that this nonsense has been going on all this time. So he pulls a total Kirk move. Yes, he does. And he tells it just how old it's gotten, and he gets the thing to commit machine suicide. Totally awesome. And that's the end. I'm, I like this story. It was yeah, it was it was pretty decent. I like the art too. It wasn't you know it, it's it's weird. It's just sort of a nice little Alan Moore story. It's not you know, 
it's got the Alan Moore elements with the hellish creatures and, oh, yeah. and stuff like that. But it's basically just a goofy little story <laughs> where he gets to do a Kirk on a computer. Yeah. I like the very first panel where he's being attacked by like these bugs and ghouls and monsters and everything and then right in front of him you've got that warthog going i love you man yeah he's like a drunk pete hesh he's just <laughs> like did i ever tell you what a great guy you were <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> hey pal where the hell in an X-Wing is there all this massive space for Look you to Look how much... Have? Yeah, he's got like three feet above him for the ceiling in this that one crazy. shot. It's Once again, it's a TARDIS X-Wing. Yeah, it's massive. Well, I mean, in that... In the fourth Big enough that you that... could swing a lightsaber around in it without worrying about destroying anything. Well, there's, there's rooms, too, because if you look in that last panel on the first page of the story, there's one of those cushiony archways. Oh, you're like right. Like a Millennium Falcon right there. So what, what the hell is that all? I mean, this is, this is huge. Somebody wasn't paying attention to their movies or something. Seriously. There's no All way. I have to do is look at the size of the cockpit and realize exactly how big an X-Wing is. That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. It'd be different if he was, like, flying the Falcon or something. But yeah. Yeah. Why, why do the things attack him and then a minute later they've all left him alone? I didn't get that at all. I thought... I, uh, are they not? I didn't either. I thought this was a trap to kill the Jedis. Yeah. Maybe those were just there to scare off everything that wasn't a Jedi. <laughs> Maybe guess. Jedis, you know, could just sort of, you know. Although Luke, it wasn't like, oh, they're just imaginary. He was, they had him down and on the ground. Yeah. That thing really does look like one of the uh, Mars Attacks aliens. Though. Yes, he does. He's got the, the brainy thing and everything going on. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't bad. I mean, it's it's short and sweet and to the point, whatever the point was. So um the story bizarre from uh, Marvel Star Wars number 59 is the story that's reprinted and it's actually in its entirety reprinted in this issue, which I thought was yeah. interesting cuz they didn't do that for the longest time. They would always split up the the American ones and then toward the end of the series they finally started reprinting the stories all in one issue. I think mostly because they had gone to a monthly format by that point as opposed to the weekly format. But that's pretty much all I got. What else that's you got on this one? A, yeah, that's pretty much all I got on it. There's not much to say about it, really. No. Well, next time around, it's going to be interesting because we're covering Devil Worlds number two. And that's which... it. How many stories are in that one? Is that one four stories as well? I think it's four also. Yeah. And then that's it. Marvel yep. Star Wars is officially finished. We'll close the book. Yep, it will. And we will be uh, we'll be shifting gears. We'll be covering some different stuff. We're not quite ready for that announcement yet. And we may actually be looking at uh, shaking things up for a little bit in the months to come, doing some different projects and... Uh, playing around with our format and just just experimenting a little bit so stick yeah, with so us. just hang in there absolutely 
Hang in there, little campers. <laughs> and Indiana Jones will return. He'll be back. Whether he's played by Harrison Ford or not, who knows? <laughs> He'll be back. Don't start. <laughs> <laughs> You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent ya! Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes. You can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Coming soon on Two True Freaks. Beware the beast man. A month-long celebration. For he is the devil's pawn. Of one of the greatest science fiction series. Alone among God's primates. Of all time. He kills for sport, or lust, or greed. Covering all the films. Let him not breed in great numbers, for he will make a desert of his home and yours. All the comic books. Shun him. The toys. Drive him back into his jungle lair. The entire phenomenon that was. For he is the harbinger of death. The planet of the apes. Planet of the Apes, a month-long event, coming soon, only 
at twotruefreaks.com.